Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. They're small, they're waxy, they live underground, and they like to suck your plant's roots. Are root mealybugs the biggest houseplant horror of all? I find out in this week's On The Ledge podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I am your host, Jane Perrone, bringing you all the info tips, facts and gossip about the world of houseplants. In this week's show, I'm joined by entomologist Professor Raymond Cloyd, who's got all the info you need to know about this particular underground houseplant pest. And spoiler alert, I'm afraid it's not good news for those of us who have suffered from infestations of this pest. But we get into all the different aspects of looking for root mealybugs and what to do when you find them. Plus, I answer a question about braided plants. Small housekeeping note, my British Library appearance, which was due to take place earlier this week, has actually been postponed and it's now happening on December the 2nd. So if you didn't get around to purchasing a live stream or in-person ticket, then you have not missed the boat. Look for details of that at the top of the show notes at janeperone.com. And a brief reminder that if you are still using Elon Musk's plaything, a.k.a. Twitter, <laughs> then you can join me and my US counterpart, Lisa Eldred Steinkoff, a.k.a. the Houseplant Guru, every Tuesday night for Houseplant Hour. It's at 9pm UK time, that's 4pm Eastern Time, and it's an hour of chat about all things planty. You can ask questions, flex your plants, and generally shoot the breeze with other houseplant enthusiasts. Just follow at Houseplant Hour on Twitter to get involved. If you've been listening to On the Ledge for a while, you may have heard my cries of despair about root mealybugs. And I know some of you have suffered with this pest too, so it felt like time to devote an interview to finding out more about this particular pest. So joining me once again is Professor Raymond Cloyd of Kansas State University based in Manhattan, Kansas. And Professor Cloyd is a horticultural entomologist, so mealybugs are his bread and butter, if I can put it that way. And the first thing I wanted to know was, are root mealybugs just regular mealybugs that you might see above ground that have just decided to go underground for some reason or are they something entirely different that is true jane it, it, it is not the same as a citrus mealybug a long tail and our above ground mealybugs this is actually a different species 
immunity bug that inhabits the the, the root zone. Uh, people often have this perception: well, the, the the above ground immunity bugs go into the soil and they start feeding on the roots. That's that's not true. Um, they are primarily feeding above uh, the above ground leaves, stems, uh, flowers, and fruits. Uh, so that the uh, they're actually two two different species based on location uh, where they feed in the plant. That makes sense to me. I assumed that that wasn't the case because otherwise, why would they be suddenly turning up in the roots? I mean, obviously you do get mealybugs, I guess, on the surface, but different species we're dealing with here. And I think the reason why I find these particularly difficult is the fact that it's unlike mealybugs, you really don't know you've got them until the the infestation is quite severe or you happen to take the plant out of the pot it's all happening under the surface and then it's gone badly wrong by the time you realize that you've got this problem no absolutely you, you don't notice you have a problem until your plants are wilting or stunting and then uh and they're not responding to water for fertilizer you take them out and you see these clusters of, of white cottony masses around the roots those are the things that I noticed was the plant just suddenly not looking great, just looking generally dull and starting to look as if it was thirsty. Those were the first things that I spotted in the worst cases where I hadn't repotted. And then when I did take those plants out, they obviously had those cottony masses. They feed in the food conducting tissues, the phloem, especially the root zone, because the phloem is up and down movement. Uh, from the leaves down, that's how that's how roots get uh, their food. So they're they're robbing the plant of its nutritional content, and that's why you do see the stunting and wilting. Uh, the plants just can't grow; they're not obtaining enough nutrition uh, to maximize growth uh, production. The other thing I noticed, which I did find useful to know, was about watering and finding. Uh, well, I guess the non-technical term is crawlers. The the young root mealybugs coming up to the surface. Does that sound like that is I'm I'm getting the right diagnosis of root mealybug when you get these kind of rice grain like little babies coming up and appearing on the surface of the soil when you water? You have the same life cycle. You have the eggs and then nymphs or crawlers are what you're observing and then the the adults. So when you're watering or you're overwatering uh the crawlers they can't survive in waterlogged growing medium, so they'll try to escape. Uh, but if you got well-drained growing medium, uh, they, they can probably stay there because the media will dry out. But the crawlers, uh, as well as the adults, uh, the females in particular, are feeding on the roots. And and so they're, they're basically removing the nutritional content. And so the plants display stunting and wilting, uh, don't respond to fertility in water. But, yeah, the crawlers are what you see. And again, if they're if it's waterlogged or there's too much water, they will uh, migrate up to the top, but they will likely go back down because they have evolved or have been designed in some way to just feed on the roots. Even if you do get them out of the pot, sometimes I find it's not necessarily easy to distinguish between, you know, a little bit of fungal growth and the the mealybugs. And I guess this is where my hand lens comes out. And now I obsessively look at every fleck of perlite in the soil to check whether it's a root mealybug. <laughs> I have to say, I've become paranoid now. But that is what you're looking for, isn't it? That kind of, those masses on the roots. And I find I've increasingly putting things into clear pots so I can keep an eye on them. 
Is the life cycle like the mealybug where it's quite a swift turnaround? They're, they're reproducing quite swiftly once they get going in a pot? The life cycle from egg to egg-laying female, and this, of course, is really contingent on uh, going to temperature, can vary from about two weeks to maybe 30 days. Also, probably plant growth, plant life stage, growing media type may also influence that. Uh, that research probably has not been done and would be useful. But mealybug, it has a much more extended life cycle, Jane, than, say, aphids or thrips or whiteflies. Uh, it's, it's, it's not like a two-week life cycle. It's probably two weeks to three, maybe two, four weeks. Yeah. And am I right in thinking that they favor plants where the substrate tends to stay slightly on the drier side, like things like, I'm thinking of the things that have been affected in my collection, particularly cacti, succulents, hoyas, that kind of thing, where they don't experience as much moisture as they might do, say, in a, a fern pot. Well, I'm not sure there's enough data. You know, I do know that azaleas and chrysanthemums are susceptible, but does that mean that's where they've been found? So uh, I'm not sure there's been enough studies to show that they have a preference for certain plants. Uh, the question I always had, I would always have, is how do they get there? You know, we know that cacti are, are susceptible to above ground mealybugs for sure, uh, which is why they're difficult to deal with uh, because they get in those tight enclosed areas of hens and chickens and others. But uh, whether they have a preference for succulents, uh, most of your mealybugs uh, are very prolificous, meaning they feed in a wide variety of plant types. So I'm not, I would say, with somewhat confidence, with minimal evidence that. Uh, even the root mealybug probably is a generalist feeder and really doesn't have much preference. It just whatever it's it's uh, infesting and feeding upon, it's going to use as a food source. And from what you were saying earlier, the solution to root mealybugs is a scorched earth approach, shall we say. There really aren't any particular pesticides that are going to be hugely helpful. And it may be a case of throwing the plant away. Let me tell you what I've done with the ones that I've had. And certain plants have been easier than others. I've frequently just, when it's a succulent where I can do this, literally cut the succulent off at ground level, washed it off really carefully and rerouted it, disposing of all of the substrate, washing the pot out with hot soapy water. And that has worked. So, yeah, it seems like that's the best way forward with most of these, which for people with a lot of plants like me is not great. I mean, does this affect commercial crops in a kind of disastrous way on occasion? Yes, uh, I have experience working with nursery production systems, um, even uh, green roofs. Uh, you know, root mealybugs becoming a problem. There, there are some materials available, but it's a timing issue. You know, if you if you wait until it's too late and mealybugs have uh, developed large abundance of population, large densities, then it becomes more difficult to deal with it. Most of your contact insecticides, when you're dealing with a growing medium, it gets very complex. I mean, some of these can be bounded up by the soil particles. And, of course, where, where they're feeding, it's hard for them to be exposed to lethal concentrations of the, the solution. And rates, what are the rates for either drenching or sprenching? Sprenching meaning a, a high-volume spray application where you get some into the growing medium. So with minimal research done, there has been research basically, but we still don't know sufficient rates. They're going to give us adequate mortality. Uh, but again, that's going to be contingent on getting them early on proactively before they build up the numbers. And, and that's why 
one of the recommendations that I have been alluding to is releasing like bio, biologic control agents such as the roe beetle, the Locia coriara. Now, I have no data on this. Uh, we'd like to study it, but it's a, it's a generous predator that the larvae and the adults feed on fungus at larva, western flower thrips, pupil stages. And so it might, quote, might feed on the mealybugs and even root aphids, although we just don't have any quantitative data to substantiate that. But um, thinking of how this, the biology of that insect is, it's, it's at least something to try. And I know the uh, cannabis and hemp growers that deal with root aphids and root mealybugs, that's pretty much their only option, uh, other than, like you mentioned, uh, cutting the plants, starting new plants, or just throwing the plants away. Yeah, it's brutal, isn't it? I mean, that uh, did you was it rove beetle you were mentioning for biological control there? Yes, uh, Delosia coriara, uh, formerly Theta. Um, I've been rearing it for probably fifteen to twenty years. Uh, it's, it's very easy to rear, you create your own colonies, and you can buy them. They're commercially available. You release them as adults. They they reside in the growing medium, both the larva and the adults. And they feed on a wide variety of insect pests. And uh, we know fungus at larva and thrips, because we've done uh, graduate students that I've had mentored have proven that. Uh, we just don't know at this point their efficacy against root mealybugs and root aphids. You know, these, these insects are covered with a frothy, waxy material. And it's a possibility that the roe beetles uh, don't like that or can't get in to feed on them, which may negate their potential effectiveness as uh, biocontrol agents in use against uh, mealybugs. I can imagine that's not that palatable, that waxy uh, layer. And uh, also, are they were, I mean, I wonder whether they're working at the soil depth that's deep enough. Do the, you know, would they be going right down to the bottom of the pot where I seem to find most, perhaps it's just the ones I'm seeing, but I seem to find most of the root mealybug right down at the base of the pot when I'm looking at uh, infestations. There may be a spatial uh, distribution difference between the two. We do know row beetles, uh, because they require oxygen to breathe, they're around the upper surface uh, growing medium layer, and they may not get down where uh, mealybugs are feeding, especially if you have um, uh, deep pots like Easter lily containers or uh, mature plants. They just won't go down that deep. And so, that again, that would be uh, something uh, interesting to quantify that. Uh, we know with fungus gnat larvae, uh, that fungus gnat larvae also will go deeper in the growing medium, and, and that may allow them to escape exposure to roe beetle adults and larvae. So, yeah, there may be a, a spatial aspect associated where the roe beetles may not provide uh, the effective and mortality-wise killing roe bugs because they're not in the same area where the roe bugs are feeding. More root mealy realness to come, but now it's time to hear from this week's sponsor. This week's show is supported by Cozy Earth, the premium bedding company that helps you get the deep restorative sleep you need. Bedtime is literally my favourite time of day, so it's really important that my bed is the most comfortable place it can be. I got to try out a set of Cozy Earth sheets and they really are so comfortable. Cozy Earth's high quality bedding is responsibly sourced and made from soft and sustainable viscose that comes from bamboo fabrics. Bundle up in Cozy Earth pyjamas made from ultra soft viscose from bamboo this holiday season. Now available in holiday hues. Want to give the gift of a good night's rest with Cozy Earth? 
On The Ledge listeners can take up Cozy Earth's exclusive offer today. Get 40% off site-wide at CozyEarth.com using code LEDGE. That's CozyEarth, C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code LEDGE, L-E-D-G-E for 40% off now. I've not been doing it in a scientific way, so who knows? But what seems to have worked for me on the plants where I've just thought to myself, oh my gosh, I cannot face cutting the tops off. It's just too big a plant. Uh, What I've done is a, a, a drench, a soil drench of pyrethrum. And that seems to have, if not killed off all of the mealybugs, certainly knocked back the population quite considerably obviously the problem with cacti and succulents is right now it's the period where i'm not going to be watering them for quite some time because of uh avoiding allowing them to have their dormancy period but i guess my plan with most of my plants where i really do balk at taking cuttings and chucking the whole thing is that i keep going with these pyrethrum soil drenches i mean i guess it's better than nothing (laughs) um do do you that's that was one of the the chemicals listed on the list of things that could work that I've seen I don't know whether you've got any thoughts on using that particular um that particular pesticide pyrethrins is derived from the chrysanthemum plant uh, tanacetum centerifolium um it is a broad spectrum uh insecticide miticide it kills everything that you come in contact with it's widely used outdoors in uh, organic production systems because uh, very short residual activity. Uh, I, I think in sunlight is gone after an hour, uh, short post-harvest interval. Uh, one of my concerns is in the soil or growing medium, uh, we don't know how if it's going to bind to the soil particles. And again, the residual is so short, Jane. Um, I, I just I don't see how, how that's going to work very well overall, especially when you've got this, this cottony mass that's protecting the mealybugs from exposure to those. So um, without the quantitative data, my my uh, prediction, I don't like this prediction, uh, my hypothesis is that um, those are, are not going to be effective and they have to be applied multiple times because of their short residual activity. Now, in the growing medium where there's no UV light exposure, uh, they, might la- they might last longer, but we don't know how they're interacting with the growing medium. We do know that a certain growing medium, especially with a 30% higher, uh, 30% organic matter content, will bind to certain insecticides and consequently reduce their efficacy. So, you know, uh, I, I'd have to do the testing to get a reliable quantitative data, but my, my, uh, my thoughts on it, hypothesis is it's probably not going to provide overall long-term uh, effectiveness against Ritmelia bugs. Oh, well, that's not the news I was hoping to hear, but <laughs> interesting nonetheless. <laughs> uh, insecticidal soaps, potassium salts, fatty acids, uh, has been have been used, but again, those are short residual contact, and so uh, unless they come in contact with the mealy bugs, uh, they're providing no mortality. The same with horticultural oils like mineral based oils. Um, so that requires multiple applications. And so what you have to do is just take the plants out, look at them, and see are you getting a reduction in populations. Not just wait until the plants are wilting. Uh, just because the plants are looking fine. Uh, doesn't mean that there's uh, you've got you've got management. You still have to look and see if there's numbers increasing in the growing medium. But I do know that uh, uh, homeowners uh, have tr- tried to use those, and of course they're, they're not they're not they're not robust studies, mostly anecdotal information. So um, 
at this point, it's it's hard to make a recommendation without some type of quantitative data to substantiate there's going to be level of efficacy because you don't know where they're at. You know, you, you can't see the growing medium. The plants can be shipped in if you're going to like a nursery or garden center. Uh, they get their plants. They could have root mealybugs. Now, the extent of the infestation, we wouldn't know. So whenever you buy a plant, I, I recommend not only checking the above ground parts, but also if you can take the plant out of the pot uh, and, and just look at the roots. Make sure make sure the roots are healthy, for one. Make sure there's none of these frothy or cottony masses in there because uh, you really don't want to bring that plant home, obviously, once you see that. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, I've learned my lesson now, but you're absolutely right. If the problem comes into your collection, it's dire. And I've also learned my lesson as well with... I guess how these creatures have been spreading through different plants in my collection where I either have um, reused substrate or I haven't cleaned pots thoroughly enough when I'm reusing them. I'm guessing that's how they're spreading from pot to pot. Could be. That's why we recommend using new grow medium or using new pots, uh, not just for root maybe bugs, but for pathogens, fungi that can reside in uh, debris around the container or even the growing medium. The way that I have read that they spread is they can come out of the drainage holes and move around um, or, you know, people touching growing medium going from plant to plant. Uh, but it's not the same as like a uh, above ground mealybug moving or crawling from one plant to the next. These are in the, the growing medium. So more than likely they're either coming out through the drainage holes or somebody's using a growing medium that's infested and pots are plant in that. And that's how they're getting the, the root mealy bugs that way. Yeah, I have a fellow cactus grower did say to me, you know, one thing you can do is make sure that your plants are not all standing on the same tray, uh, but they've got their own individual trays because of that very reason that they could be coming out at the bottom of the drainage hole. And then that, you know, floating along on the surface of a, uh, a rivulet of water and ending up going into another pot, which I guess kind of makes sense. But as you say, if you can avoid them coming into your collection in the first place, that is uh, <laughs> the major issue. One other treatment that I'm seeing sort of bandied around on the internet, um, such as it is, that I wanted to ask you about is this hot water bath technique where you're getting water to up to a temperature of around 49C, that's about 120 Fahrenheit, and you're dunking the whole plant in there at that temperature uh, with the idea that you're killing off the uh, pest in question without killing off the plant. Have you heard of that? And have you got any thoughts on its effectiveness for root mealybugs? One of the concerns I have is, you know, the, the temperature uh, is 149 on in one, one minute, but how it, it'll start to decline. So you're not, unless you're maintaining a consistent level of hot water, uh, you're not exposing all your plants to the same, uh, the, the temperature. The other one is the, the effect on plants. I mean, yeah, you can, you can kill the media bugs, but if it negatively affects your plants, uh, that's not what you're looking for. Um, and, and it's very, it's very short term. I mean, you'll kill them maybe, but you can get a reinfestation somehow either inadvertently or, or, or basically on your own. So, um, those are just some of the concerns. Being a scientist, I look at it's it's a very it's a very quick and easy way to get rid of things like invasive uh, insects that come in. Um, but insects that are established in areas, it, it may be less so. And again, my concern is um, 
you know, the how long do you leave them in there? Uh, uh, how consistent is that hot water? Are you maintaining it somehow? If not, it's going to decline. So your first plants, you, your first couple of plants may be exposed, but your later plants may not. And so if they're not let, getting exposed to lethal temperatures, you're not having any any control overall. This feels like a bit of a depressing conversation because there really clearly aren't many easy answers to this root mealy bug question. I mean, there are pests that we deal with indoor and outdoor that the options are very are, are minimal. And uh, the, the root mealy bugs is one uh, that we have. Uh, where, where do we go from here? Uh, if it becomes a more severe pest, I'm sure there will be uh, hopefully an uprising moment to start uh, working on that. But, you know, funds are tight. We're living in different times. And uh, I think at this point, uh, what, I, what, what I can provide as guidelines or recommendations is, is you know, when you buy plants, you look at the roots. Now, now you can't take like a five-gallon container, but, you know, like a four-inch, six-inch, and maybe even 12-inch. Look at the root zone. You should, you should actually be doing that anyway to make sure that the roots are not girdling and they're healthy because you don't want to bring a sick plant in because you'll be spending labor and time trying to save it. And then obviously, you know, use clean uh, containers and growing media every time you repot plants, whether it be succulents or orchids or uh, other plants, uh, to minimize, mitigate, or reduce the possibility of, uh, of moving uh, root media bugs from one, from one plant to the next. Uh, you could... If, if it's like a prize plant, take them out, uh, wash the root zone off and wash the midi bugs off the roots and replant it into a fresh growing medium. That would be an option if you've got this very, um, uh, what's, uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? They use it all the time now. Uh, uh, it escapes me right now. But anyway, a prize plant, basically, that you, you, your grandmother, uh, your great-grandmother passed down to you. And so uh, that would be one way to salvage it as opposed to throwing it away or trying to start cutting it. Just clean that root zone off, get rid of the mealy bugs uh, that are there best you can with the force of water spray, dunk it in water, shake it, uh, maybe try to apply maybe a soapy water. Uh, that might help somewhat. And then just uh, start with a new growing medium. And like you said, provide water, proper fertilizer, uh, you know, growing conditions, those go a long way uh, in maintaining healthy plants. I and mean, even if you have a low level of root mealy bugs, if your plants are mature and healthy, they probably can tolerate low infestation. As long as that infestation doesn't start increasing in density or, or abundance and becoming, becoming a problem. Well, that's interesting. I have found that there are a couple of my plants, which I know I haven't completely eradicated, the root mealy bugs, but the plant seems to be doing well at the moment. They're specimens that are big enough that they seem to be able to cope. So it's so interesting to hear about this pest. And hopefully this will be a warning for anyone who hasn't yet fallen prey to keep a really close eye on their plants and look out for the first signs of it, because uh, you don't want to end up with a big infestation in your houseplant collection, that's for sure. But thank you so much for joining me today, Professor Cloyd. It's been a pleasure. And hopefully you can come back on the show at some point in the future with better news about some more treatments for this particular pest. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Jane. Anytime. Thanks to Professor Cloyd for giving me all that much needed information about root mealybugs. If you've suffered, tell me what you've done, what's worked and what hasn't worked. And 
I'll keep you posted as to how my own experiments go with this tricky pest. Now it's time for question of the week and it comes from Kathleen in the US who brought a whole host of Ficus Benjamina questions to me. Common name, the weeping fig. A real kind of OG houseplant, I think you could say. Very popular as an indoor tree. Maybe has lost a bit of ground to Ficus lyrata, the fiddle leaf fig, but still so popular. Now, this is one of those plants that does have the ability to be manipulated in all kinds of different ways. And you can see it sold in everything from tiny plants that are just a few centimetres tall Plants grown as lollipop-like standards where they've got a bare stem and then a ball of growth at the top. And sometimes these standards have got braided stems. It's an interesting one, this. It's very popular with the species Pachyra aquatica, the guinea chestnut, also known as the money tree. That's probably the most popular houseplant species that comes with braided trunks, but Ficus benjamina is another one that you sometimes see with this particular setup. I guess the reason is that it's probably quicker to grow three much thinner trunks and braid them together than it is to grow one thicker trunk. And of course, time is money in the nursery trade. So that way they can grow three trunks, braid them together. And hey, presto, you've got a much thicker looking trunk that would be much more time consuming and expensive to produce if it was just a single trunk with that lollipop like top on it. Here's Kathleen's problem, though. One of those three trunks of her braided ficus benjamina is dead. Kathleen didn't like the aesthetic and she wanted to undo it anyway. This is often what happens with this braided setup is that the plants are kind of scrunched together and one will get outcompeted by one of the others and you'll end up with a dead branch. So what can Kathleen do? If she doesn't unbraid them, what's going to happen? I suspect ultimately in the long, long, long run, you could face a scenario where two of the trunks die back and you're left with one trunk that stays healthy. If you can unbraid them, particularly now that one's dead, that's not going to look aesthetically great. I would definitely try to unbraid them, Kathleen. Um, The dead roots from the dead trunk are not going to help your soil particularly. They probably won't do that much harm, but I would say if you can, Get that dead trunk separated out and make two separate trunks. And then you could train them in whatever way you wanted to. You could stake them to try to straighten them out. You can, they're probably going to always be a bit twisted because they've been trained in that braided way in the first place. Kathleen wanted to check if the third trunk is actually dead. She's done what I would usually suggest, which is scratching the bark at the base of the plant just to see if it looks green or whether it looks completely dead. If there's no kind of sap or greenness showing there, then the plant is probably dead. And to be honest, do you really need three ficus benjamina anyway? (laughs) Uh, You're probably going to end up with one decent plant at the end of this process, maybe two. So get on braiding and see what you're left with. You may look at those two trunks once they're potted up individually and be able to visualize a shape and it may be that you have to accept that it's not going to be totally straight but you're going to have a kind of characterful ficus benjamina that's got some twisting to it and that's fine but the plants will inevitably 
do better once they are potted individually and given that space. That's not to say that braided trunks can never work, but I think on the whole, oftentimes they are for the benefit of the nursery rather than for the long term health of the plants. The other species that you sometimes see braided is one of the Sansevierias, specifically Sansevieria cylindrica. There'll be a whole bunch of cuttings of this plant that are placed into soil, individually rooted, and then they will be platted into an elaborate design. Again, particularly with this plant, it's really not sustainable in the long term. You should separate those plants out and get them unbraided and you'll find you've basically got a hectare of cuttings which can then be potted up separately and the plant will be much happier. Ultimately, that's just not how the plant grows in the wild and it's just not going to be happy like that in the long term. It will grow out of the braiding and look a mess. If you do have a braided uh, snake, cylindrical snake plant, then like the weeping fig the damage that's been caused by that braiding will remain but the plant will at least start to grow some new growth which will eventually it'll grow past the problem uh so yeah it's a trend that i'm not that fond on of i have to say but it's something that you can help a plant with if you put a bit of time into it so Kathleen has the advantage of living in San Diego, California, so nice weather for a ficus benjamina. The humidity in her home is 60 to 90%. Nice. So I think your ficus benjamina is going to be pretty happy once you get this braiding issue sorted out. Just be aware with this particular plant, it can lose a lot of leaves when it is moved about. So you may find that the stress of the separately potting is that you get some leaf loss but I think it's going to be okay certainly come spring it should start to re-sprout just make sure that the pot has plenty of drainage and that it's not sitting in too much water uh, over the winter and that soil is free draining and that will set you up for success with your plant good luck Kathleen and let me know how you get on and if you've got a question for on the ledge do drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com is the best address to use and be like kathleen send me loads of information and pictures and i will do my best to help And that is all for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll be back next Friday. So until then, set your hand lenses to magnify and enjoy your plants this weekend. Bye.
music you heard in this episode was Roll, Draw, and Roll by the Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Kumiku, and Overthrown by Josh Woodward. The ad music was Holiday Gift by Kai Engel. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.